Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. Today is Sunday, the 6th of the 12th, closer and closer to the glorious launch of Cyberpunk 2077. Michael, how have you been? I'm very excited. Tomorrow, as you know, Gary, is the Feast of St. Ambrose, so it's the opening of the new season in La Scala and of the skiing season, so I can't wait, since I'll be doing none of that. Press yourself up against a window and look out into the distance and imagine it? No, I think I'll lie in a dark room. Mm, that's hot right now. Maybe I'll moan a bit, you know. It's good to get, like, the, the, the full package. Too many people skip the moaning. Yeah. And maybe, like, a little bit of shivering as well, just to, to bring it home. Then, of course, the 8th of December is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which in Christian countries in Europe is a, is a, is a holiday. But, of course... Not being a Christian country in Europe, it's not a holiday here. I'm not sure if you're saying we're not a Christian country, we're not a country, or we're not in Europe. Or am I saying all three? It's hard to tell sometimes, Michael. All we can say for certain is, it's not a holiday in Ireland. It's good that you say that without any sort of bitterness or hatred in your heart. A rancor, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good, because I've got that detachment. It's, it's, <coughs> it's ever since I've considered thinking about maybe looking at being a Buddhist. I'm I'm that committed to it. So just just to open up, Prime Time were investigating there during the week, Michael, and they've managed to find a deep and troubling problem in Dublin, mostly because that seems to be where this country stores its deep and troubling problems. Well, sometimes in Mayo, sometimes in Mayo, but it's the backup storage. Yeah, that just reminds me of. Have you ever heard the phrase "the Florida is Amer- is God's waiting room"? Yes, I just remember when COVID started, and uh, you're like, well. Someone's collecting numbers. Yeah. <laughs> the doctor will see you now. Florida is also sometimes described as America's penis. Different strokes. Anyway, the primetime was looking at the new area of uh, the Irish rental market. It's not like primetime does this story once a year, maybe twice a year mm-hmm. in hard times. It's the old reliable. It's the fallback. But Michael, they they came to find that there's this terrible trouble that Brazilians are just stacking themselves in houses and landlords can do nothing to stop it. Just stacking themselves 12 deep like a <laughs> warehouse for Brazilians. Mostly Brazilians. Mostly Brazilians. It is, all tr- it is true, yes. Yeah. No, instead of Orti and sent someone around and they went to terrible rental locations and were told that they could sleep in a bunk bed in a room with three other people and that there would be a um, a kitchen in the same bedroom and it was all terrible Michael and the rooms were falling to pieces which would seem to me to be separate than the rental issue and it wasn't if you wanted to go to the laundry facilities you had to negotiate your way through building materials and then and then Michael Sam McConkey was in it McConkey whatever <laughs> Well, Sam probably cares. Yes, he was, and he was being his usual cheerful ray of light. Yeah, I, you cannot escape from the man. Everywhere. Everywhere is just this. I'll tell you, I wish I had his agent. That's true. Well, I mean, he's a specialist in what, neurology? I'm not sure. He's a specialist in throwing out vast, enormous numbers of people that are going to catch and die from COVID. It doesn't seem to happen, but there you go. He is the Associate Professor and Head of the Department of International Health and Tropical Medicine at the Royal College of Surgeons. He is many things, Michael, uh, because he appears to be everywhere. He is not a building inspector, though, and he's not a QS. I would say, to be fair, you didn't have to be a building inspector to look at some issues in the particular piece of accommodation and say, you know what? I think that's probably not up 
to code, like the ceiling covered in the mould. I like the idea of uh, someone going to him and just going, and Sam, there are no numbers, so you can't be horribly wrong this time. <laughs> you don't. You just you just need to say it's bad and leave it there. I just I looked at it and I sort of went, God, well, this is what we wanted. Well, this is what we have embraced. Certainly, <coughs> excuse me. Um, for those who want to watch, there is. You don't want to watch the whole thing, but you can if you want. You can watch. There's, there's a there's a trailer, on. There's a really weird music choice. Yeah, it's kind of Kubrick esque. Like it, it sounds like something from a Clockwork Orange. Do you think so? I I thought it was more like the wind down music from an S and M club in Hamburg. That is a very exact reference. Yeah, you know, you've you've been dancing all night in. The style of say, North German industrial techno, and now you're in you're in the ch- the chill the, the the come down room. Now normally your 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 come down music would be kind of a little bit lighter, a little bit sweeter than this, but this is this is an S and M industrial techno sound from Hamburg, so it's not quite a bit. It was really rather disturbing, and you couldn't. It was like somebody had written a note. Really, really menacing bad music here, please. It couldn't have been more as if that when the, the the landlord had appeared, they'd put the shark music from Jaws in. It would have been just about the equivalent, so that we know bad man. Although he was wearing his mask, Gary. He was wearing his mask, and in parts of the recording, he actually seemed quite nice. Um, but very bad man, because, well, he's a landlord, and that is by himself. Just it's makes him a bad, bad man. But what do we think was going to happen when we banned bedsits? Looked really like a bedsit, really. I don't know. Yeah, what was going to happen was with this. Also, by the way, by the way, four people, like a bedroom with two bunk beds, it is not what you call perfect or wonderful. But I would also say that it's not a situation that was unknown to families in Ireland not that long ago, where you'd have people. You, I mean, I live in a row of terraced houses where you had uh, an, an attic, a bedroom, a front room, and a kitchen. And people raised 12, 13 children. And again, not in wonderful circumstances. Now, I, if you're paying somebody good money, I mean, I, I think there shouldn't be exposed electrical gear, and you should probably not have mould on the walls. But as regards the numbers of people in the space, that's, you know, we have created, we, no, not me personally, Gary, you mostly, you and the Labour Party and the Greens and people like that have created a shortage, a desperate shortage of cheap for cheap housing or any kind of housing in Dublin. So this is the consequence. You, I have a couple of Brazilian mates and they have described to me the kind of money that you're paying if you want to be anywhere near the centre and oh, naturally these tend to be, these people, they don't drive cars, they rely on public transport. They're probably going to be working in the hospitality industry, or somewhere near this, near the near the centre of the town, so they're kind of they, you know, like they can't live in Ongar, they can't live in Ashburn, so they make choices. What my Louis and I'm saying is, yeah, you, you stay in this place, and then you you, you save a few, few quid, and you find another place which is a bit better. Which you know what, guy? That's what we all used to do. You find another place which is a bit better. Pay, you save a few quid, you get a few more quid, you get a better job. You move to a place that's a bit better. But uh, here's the question, Gary. If they don't go there to these places, where do they go? Shantytown? Do you know, if they wouldn't build houses in Oscar Trainer, my suspicion is you won't get planning permission for a shantytown 
in Malahide. That's the joy about shanty towns, Michael. They generally don't have uh, planning permission. Oh, where would you put? Where would you put one? And, my, and how would you keep it going? I'm not against it in principle. A, a, a Dublin bidonville, because in its own way, it would be a, a visible and permanent reproach. Although these people are shameless, so why would you try to shame them? I don't. Know. I, I, I just this this program has gotten a political reaction because, of course, it has, and people are saying it's terrible things, absolutely terrible things, awful, awful. That, um, you know, people would have to live in such situations. Uh, I didn't see anyone kind of mentioning that perhaps this is due to the fact that we made many things illegal that could have been sold to people that, while small and maybe not great to live in, would have been clean and safe. Or maybe if we, let's say, actually let anyone build anything in Dublin, we might have more facilities available to us, and therefore people might not feel the need to stay in places like this. It's odd, Gary. It's almost like, if you go into a housing market in a city and you take away large numbers of the things that you are putting, allowing people to live in, and then you say, oh, and by the way, we're not going to allow you to build any other stuff that people can live in, and then you increase the number of people living in the city, it's almost like that would cause a problem for housing, you know? And then, I mean, to be honest, unless you're some kind of Super Whiskey Einstein. I don't think anybody could have predicted that. I do like the fact that RTE were like, we've got to try something new and fresh. Yeah. So let's, <laughs> let's call it like living with COVID or something or accommodating COVID. And we'll get it, we'll get in, we'll get in Sam. And it's basically an entirely new thing as opposed to the thing we do regularly because it's been a consistent shit show and will continue to be a consistent shit show because the interests of people and politicians have aligned to ensure that it continues to be a shit show. Yeah, I, I did like the, the COVID hook because it was, it was this, the implication was this was not just that it was terrible for these poor people to have to live in these awful conditions, but they now represented a disease threat. They were now creating these nests of disease, and then as these people would go out as vectors for the disease. I, I was about to say, you could argue that there is a xenophobic element to that, Michael, but then you referred to them as nests, and I was like, no, now we're now we're too deep in. No, no, I think it, I, I'm, and I, I was thinking of a specific piece of film, and deliberately, absolutely xenophobic, I don't, I think that's absolutely right. I think the I think that the betrayal that was the underlying message that was the the, the implicit thing. This was a this was like a, some kind of nest, and you can draw your own conclusions as to that. And this it was uh, there was a definite bang of xenophobia off it. I thought, but that was probably incidental and probably only reflected by accident. I did I did like looking at the um, the reaction to this because it's just like yeah, you know, people shouldn't have to live like this. But not a lot of, why are people living like this? Why would people choose to stay in these places? You're like, well, one would imagine one of two things. One, there is nowhere else in the city, which would mean that supply is being heavily constrained, and they have to stay there. Or two, there are other places in the city, but they're too expensive, which would again indicate that supply is being constrained, and you can save money by staying in these places. But they're not pleasant. Or there are other places in the city you could say, but they're worse, which would not be a great comment on, this, on the housing stock in the city. No, nobody cares. Nobody cares. They just, uh, 
they get on the telly. It's wonderful. It's a permanent stick to beat somebody with. I did see one of the one of the RT journalists came out and said that this this um, this show exposed the phrase was exposed the brutal exploitation of the marginalised. Yeah, I mean there could be people here, Michael, who just want to save money. There could be people there who have decided who are very happy to be in Ireland and to be still in Ireland, who have come over and they are earning money. Uh, which they wouldn't be if they were at home and they're earning more money than they are even if they were earning money at home and they're getting on with it in conditions that uh, our forebears when they went to the United States or they went to London lived in similar ones and they got on with it now that's not to say that standards shouldn't get better and we should and things should be good but that this is yeah. Nobody, there are, there are no figures of or other kinds of guns at people's heads. Anyway, Dar O'Brien has come out and said that this shows the very real need for increased uh, inspections of rental properties, which is a willingness to let a political opportunity slide, which is fantastic. A Fianna Fáil housing minister went to about, what does this show us? And went, oh, regulations, there needs to be more inspectors, as opposed to a point that might actually do something. You know, Gary, Gary I'm going to disagree with you there because I'm going to say that he, he he did one thing which he could have done an even worse thing. We're working on policy papers at the moment for the EBI for uh, our presence in the in the internet, and one of the issues we're talking about is interve- in, in, interventions and nanny statism and, and uh, housing in a completely separate way. And it's an observation that again and again, when you have problems like this or any kind of, or you have maybe a, a, a tragedy with a fire or there's an issue with whatever, something happens. So often the immediate reaction is we need more regulation. More regulation. We have to up the regulations. We have to better regulations, stiffer regulations, more penalties. Completely ignoring the fact that virtually every time the regulations that have been in existence and probably the regulations that were in existence 40 years ago would have prevented whatever it was happening if they had been in force or if the buildings had been up to code in the first place and somebody hadn't got the brown envelope to pass them off. That if you want to do something, at least the least you could do is at least is inspect in the building trade. Just constantly let more and more and more regulation. Nobody ever turns up when nobody ever turns up. The number of people turning up to actually inspect building sites in when they're active and live, when there were lots of them going on, was very small. But we send people on courses. You have to do a course. You have to do a safe pass. It has created a fantastic industry for people in the training business. God bless them. They are making out like bandits. You have to do your, if whether it's to driving or safety or, or building. He could have said, we need more regulation. He said more inspection. More inspection mightn't be a bad thing. What would be even better, Gary, and I will concede this, is more houses, more more places for people to sleep. The issue here is, as part of the reaction has been talking about how we need new legislation, and not from Dara Bryan, sensibly. The problem is, is that what they're talking about bringing the legislation for to allow inspections and uh, local authorities being able to go in and inspect dwellings, that that can already be done. A tenant can already request that that happens. The problem I would suspect here is that if you're a tenant in one of these places, why would you do that? Because yes, it is obviously not a great location. But if they come in and say it's not a great location and what's happening is not legal... And they close it down. Yeah. Where exactly do you go? 
I mean, yes, you might find somewhere else, but it'll definitely be more expensive. You know, you don't get to tend to get the positive of these slums put forward, Michael, which is that they tend to be really cheap relative to Dublin. And you know what they are? They are very often indoors. There are often roofs and occasionally walls. Yeah. All four. Which you very often you don't find if you're sleeping in the Merriam Park or on Stevens Green or in the Phoenix. Although, I don't know if they'd allow you to sleep. Yeah, so you, you complain to the council, and the council serves, let's say, something like a notice to vacate. Well, enjoy being homeless. Well, they could put you on the list. They could put you on the list, and in roughly a decade, that would be quite useful for you. It's also possible that some of the people staying, and I'm just saying possible, that some of the people staying there maybe don't want to deal with officials. That is... That's a deeply worrying statement, Michael. There may be a cultural hesitancy to dealing with people from the government. Um, Some of them may be concerned that somebody might get overly interested in their visa and things. And uh, they might be nervous about that. You just, you have no faith in your fellow man, Michael. None. Absolutely none. Fallen, broken, sinful creatures who just would jump on you and eat you and kill you all if they weren't terrified that some of them weren't terrified they might go to hell or alternatively end up in prison if they did it. Eat you? Yeah, oh yeah, eat you. Well, you would have more experience with Brazilian men than I would, so I will defer to it. Oh no, I'm not talking about Brazilian men. I think if I was, if I was, if you were asking me, Gary, where to put, you know, the. I would put Brazilian men down at the bottom of the list of people that would do nasty things to you. I was thinking more of Dublin Corporation. That's fair. That's fair. That That is less worrying. Brazilian men, very nice people. I, I'm very fond of Brazilians. Great people. So I've heard. Hardworking, decent, honest, pleasant. Underrepresented in the crime stats, by the way. I mean, some of them are terrible left-wingers, though. Yeah, it's kind of understandable when you look at the history of the right in Brazil, Gary. It's not, not been a great... Uh, Brazil has been a bit of a shit show, let's face it. It's a bit of a tragedy, a bit of a shit show. I'm sure a lovely, lovely, lovely country. But even the lefties over here, if you meet them, they're still going to mass, you know? Still good, faithful people. I mean, the, the right in Brazil had many positives. There was the empire. Yeah, the no, the empire, I, and it's it's still to this day. Dom Pedro is still called like Dom the Don the Pedro the Good, and people re- remember him. I would say to anybody, and I know that people think, "Oh, Jesus, he's often one." No, seriously, read if you get a chance to read some about the end of the Brazilian Empire. I would urge you to do it. It is one of the oddest, most. Basic handful of these liberal progressive young army officers decided they were going to launch a coup. There was no popular support for it. The royal family were very were very popular. There was no institutional support really they had. But it was like the emperor was just so I can't be bothered. And he went and he gave it up. One of the issues that had been a, a big issue and uh, had been a source of tension was that the conservative faction led by the emperor's daughter, who would have succeeded as the empress were opposed to slavery and wanted to, wanted, they were pushing for the abolition of slavery. While the liberal progressive element, being followers of 18th and 19th century European uh, economic theory and physiocrats and stuff like that, were opposed to the abolition. So there you go now, conservative liberals out there. Uh, but they left. 
Also, the military dictatorship wasn't that bad. I'm going to leave you up. To, you can, you can, you can do that one. You can, you can answer the letters Listen, about that. I'm one. just saying. Afterwards, they got some very nice monuments, and yes, many of them were to commemorate the victims of torture. But they're still very nice. So that is that is that is just a reminder that now there's a new investigation into the problem that we're all aware of and most of us are happy to ignore, but will be totally unsolved until someone actually does something in this area, which won't happen. It's a bit like somebody catching the plague and the doctor going in and treating them for flea bites. And that's the way we were approaching that in this country. God forbid we'd actually deal with the problem. Uh, continuing the trend of positive news, Michael, which is TRSI's bread and butter. There's a good article in uh, the Irish Times. Yes, sounds unlikely. Go on. Yeah, yeah. It, it comes from the Financial Times. They've just oh, well, okay, sorry. <laughs> See, you led me into the elephant trap and I jumped right in. Okay, so a good article in the FT is what you're saying. What's the good article in the FT saying? It's, it's on the uh, how wonderful remote working is going to be. You know, how it's just... Uh, you know, it's great and everyone gets to work from home and it's so relaxing and it's going to be absolutely amazing for offshoring. For offshore? Oh yeah, this is the big news. Yeah, so, so all of this, like, yeah, we've got to let people work from home and isn't it great and everyone has been enjoying it and yeah, yeah. talking about how this is a new age in business and there will be, you know, we won't have to live in Dublin. And uh, at this point, I don't know if I made this on the podcast, but this has been my view of it and apparently the Financial Times agrees that what is actually going to happen is uh, large-scale redundancies and the hiring of people in Bangladesh. I couldn't understand this. When people started talking about this, and I can see that for certain people, you know, if, if they keep their jobs, but did nobody ever think, well, we've discovered that we can perfectly efficiently work in such a way that I don't need to be able to physically be in contact with these people. You can be in Dublin, and I can be in Tullamore. But if I can be in Tullamore, surely I, I can be in Bangalore as easily. What's the difference? Yeah, and I can pay someone two euro an hour to do it. Well, you can pay somebody a bit more than that in Bangalore, but you'll be paying them less than Tullamore. There's no... I, um, you know, what's her name? Lehman? She, the editor of Quillette. Oh, Claire Lemon. Yeah. She was writing about this. Now, she was kind of writing about it in a slightly positive way because, from another perspective, but yeah, I don't see why this isn't going to just simply say, let's go to find anywhere where you have people and a good internet connection. Yeah, I, I, I think this may be because like, I, I've been involved in the hiring of people before. But it was just my immediate thought of, well, if you don't ever have to come in, yeah, you don't have to be in Dublin, but why would you have to be anywhere else in this country? Oh, I'm sure there are plenty of people in the, in, in, in the, in the recruitment agencies thought that, and in companies thinking precisely that. Now, you know, there are going to be other issues, you know, maybe suitabilities. There may be issues of PR issues, you know, public image issues. But on the face of it, if you have, if you can be, if you could be distant, you could be very distant. But the the FT is saying that what is likely to happen here, if this continues ahead, and they point out that there were lots of companies that would have never adopted this normally, but they were forced to adopt it. Yeah. And now they're able to see if it's working. And for companies that will work, they basically, they say that what, what we saw happening on factory floors in America and in various countries where they just the factories just disappeared because you could you know, run it for a tenth of the cost somewhere else is going to quietly happen to white-collar jobs. 
Yeah, the kind of jobs that was kind of assumed for a long time could not be exported. Yeah, so even if you don't lose your job, you might have uh, what's called compressed pay rates, where external competition will keep your pay down or push it down. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you're doing kind of simple work in an office, look forward to your own redundancy probably quite quickly. Still... You could always make cupcakes. I'm looking forward to it, Michael. You're, what, your redundancy? No, 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 no. It's like hiring someone in Sri Lanka to do work. I don't see why we couldn't get someone in Sri Lanka to do you. Like as a sect, sir? <laughs> no, as a news. I, I think if we got someone from Sri Lanka, they'd be up early in the morning, they would do a proper investigation of what the news was every day, they would be well prepared, and they'd be nice and polite as well. I can see someone from Sri Lanka being vastly superior in many, many ways. Gary Colombo, we could call him. What? Is that a reference I'm just not old and decrepit enough to get? Yeah, you'd have to be old and decrepit to know the capital city of Sri Lanka was Colombo. Oh, sorry, I thought you were referring to Colombo, the uh, TV detective. You see, you got the reference, which means either you're misstating the situation or you are, in fact, old and decrepit. Oh, Michael, I have an interest in history. History? <laughs> Not geography, obviously. Anyway, yes, it is history, which now covers the early enough years of your life. I, I am sorry. I'm, I'm with Professor M M M Professor Paddy Corey, who said that I, anything that happened after sixteen hundred and three is just journalism. That's a fair point. But anyway, we just thought I just thought I would bring that up because cheer, cheer people up with that notion. Also, if you're working in like the legal profession or a doctor and uh, this, oh, yeah. this yeah, yeah. your jobs will also be taken by machines at some point. Because it turns out that um, I think I think machine learning algorithms are now already better than GPs at determining illnesses based on descriptions fed to them. And low-level legal work like paralegals and stuff like that. That's just that's on the way out. Yeah, it doesn't have to be machines. This is already being done. I don't. Did you see? Um, I saw an interview with um, Sasha Baron Cohen talking about making Borat Mark Two, mm -hmm. and their legal team, all their legal team, was in India, and there are legal practices which are set up in India, and you and you have an Indian lawyer who then goes and specialises in, for example, the me media law in the state of Indiana and maybe other states as well because, you know, you go on to limit yourself. So you've got this Indian gentleman, you see, Capital Guptas, and, he's, and he, he does this very funny imitation, which I shall not do because he is Sasha Baron Cohen, and if I did it, it would be wildly racist. But he makes the you know, you've got you're talking to a guy somewhere in the middle of India who was telling him telling you what the details of the Indiana code are regarding the number of times you can you can show an anus on the film or use certain or certain kinds of sexual swear words. So the exportation of legal expertise is has already started. Oh, but that's just that's just the interim, Michael, because yes, you'll go to really cheap humans. But eventually costs in those countries will push up and that's when you'll replace everyone with machines. Ah, but you see, Gary, the problem is, you say, ah, no, no, you're, you're, there's a stage in there which you're assuming will be passed. But the lawyers and the doctors are, very, are cleverer than you because they have set up a licensing system. And I would suggest to you that they will be reluctant to license machines. So you still have to actually have, it'll be a bit like, a, a, you've got commission results and uh, the guys who stamp things. What's the guy who stamps things and writes and on a contract and signs off on a contract. 
it's it's not a big thing here. You pay twenty five quid, but initially, for example, it's enormous. You have to do very very difficult exams. You have to be a lawyer first to do it. Anyway, it's the guy who stamps the thing to see. Oh, commissioner for oaths. Like a commissioner for oaths, but um, you're going to have that. You're going to have, you still the the lawyers and the doctors there since they have the 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 licensing in their hands to say who can and who cannot, who can sign the documents and who can't. They're going to keep the people in for a long time until the machines rise up. And- no, they'll, they'll, they'll try, but eventually they'll fail as well. Because it'll, you see, when it starts, Michael, it'll only be low-level legal professionals like paralegals and people like that. And then they, they're just a cost. So they'll get wiped out, and that'll accept the basis of it with certain signatory requirements or reporting requirements. And then it's just a case of expanding it. And um, as I said, that's when it'll get really fun when we get to see the um, the mechanization of white collar jobs. Because before it was just, well, learn to code. Whereas I have a feeling when it starts being you know, solicitors and doctors who get made redundant, the uh, tone from politicians and media will be a little bit less, we'll just learn to code. Yeah, I have a suspicion that, well, anyway... Other than put it this way, if if your concerns are serious, then I would, then people would be advised to do criminal law, not civil. Oh, I mean, that's the joy of this. As as it goes up, crime will spike, and you'll be perfectly fine. And you will have you'll be working in the area where because you have to be in the court and physical and all that. The criminal law will will, will last longer. Yeah, it'll be it'll be civil law that will be hit hardest. But it's all going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to. Uh, seeing how poorly it goes, and also the shock on people who thought it could never happen to them. That's going to also be enjoyable. Yeah, there is an element of that, which has happened so many times in history when people go, no, 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 this wasn't supposed to happen to us. Tigers will never eat my face. No, said the lady who's in surprise having voted for the tiger, the tiger face-eating party. It happens, it's just so regular in history, isn't it? That moment where they turn, the tiger turns around and people go, no, 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 that wasn't us. It was them. It was supposed to be them. You see it a lot with hate speech laws and uh, obscenity laws, where they'll be brought in and the people who campaign to have them brought in will be the first people uh, hit under them. And you sort of go, well, it's a fair cop. I always, I, I talked about it before. My favourite of all of these is Bishop John Atherton, who was Bishop of Waterford and Lismore in, uh, under Elizabeth I. Um... There was, at the time, no law in Ireland which covered the crime of sodomy, which had only become a crime under Henry VIII, having previously been an issue which had been dealt with by church courts. Uh, Mary repealed the law when she became queen, and then Elizabeth brought it back in. But there was no law in Ireland, and it had never been a criminal offence under Brehan law. Brehan law didn't really do criminal offences. It was all civil torts. You could get divorced if your husband was gay, but that was about it. So he campaigned and campaigned vigorously. To have uh, anti-sodomy laws brought into Ireland. And Gary, you know where this is going. Guess who was the first man to be tried under the new anti-sodomy laws? The silence tells me that Gary is not listening. And I will answer myself. It was, in fact, the Bishop of Waterford and Lismore, who was brought to Dublin and hanged on Stephen's Green. Um, his steward, with whom he was supposed to be carrying on, was hanged off Bandon Bridge because they didn't think he'd, carry, he'd attract such a crowd. So that's what you call karma. I mean, that seems perfectly fair. I, I am of the general standard with unjust laws that I feel they should be applied to those who campaign for their introduction. Most vigorously. Absolutely. 
And, you know, if you bring in a law which, let's say, breaches human rights and it's used to breach your human rights, I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying I won't help you. You're not saying it's right, but you are saying it's fun. It's a bit that it's that moment when Robespierre is walked brought into the Plaster Concord, and he's been up to the up to the guillotine, and think he says, "Oh, oh, this is what it felt. This is what that's like." That moment where Robespierre really understood the value of moderation. It's also the moment where he thinks to himself, "You know, I was right all along in my opposition to the death penalty. Maybe not so correct in my ability to suspend my opposition." Just for now. Well, I mean, he said he was opposed to the death penalty in general. No, better than that. In principle. <laughs> well, principle and practice often have a way to meet. Anyway, next. I, Michael, because I'm just a glutton for the old sadomasistic behaviour. Yeah. Have been going through the submissions that have been put in to the Citizens' Assembly on gender equality. Oh... And Michael, I've learned a couple of things. The first is that academics in the field of gender studies should not be allowed to use PowerPoint. They just, they're irresponsible with it, Michael. There are certain PowerPoint things that should not exist, and these people pay no attention to those things. I have seen some of the worst videos I've ever seen. It was, they, they, well, hold on, I think I saw some of this. Was this one, in, they did a slideshow and they did a piece of video which was a clip from a BBC documentary on children play habits. Oh, I, that was, that was an example of an academic. Really? Oh my God. That was fourth class. Jesus. Also, I feel if there's a written submission and you send me a link to a video, you haven't understood the uh, project. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not a great sign, is it? Um, no. it? It has been, I mean, it has been some wonderful nonsense. And they're all so similar. And they're all so similar in such a tiresome way. Well, barring, say, maybe Celtic studies or something. Generally speaking, the presence of the word studies in the in your title, is an indication that your... Uh, no serious studying has ever happened here. Well, your your chosen field is wankery, and not to be taken seriously. It's, above, it's circular and self-serving, and lives within a bubble where everybody confirms everybody else. But if somebody from the outside actually does a proper critique of your methodology, the whole thing just basically melts like the witch in The Wizard of Oz. It all goes down. And the fun reminder here is that this is being hosted by Catherine Day, who is a very serious person who is totally unable to write a serious report. Mm -hmm. As we learned when they wrote their very lovely report on direct provision and how everyone should be given houses, which, what was it? I think it was the Department of Housing had to come out. That was, for, I mean, for the a department to come out and respond in that fashion, and a piece that was almost certainly, I think it was certainly written by a civil servant. That was remarkable, Gary. To have written something so provocatively stupid that you provoked a response like that from a government department, that that took some doing. Yeah, I, I, the Department of Housing seemed to think that there were issues with uh, how will we solve direct provision, give all of them homes. <laughs> and the department's going, well... Where are we to get these homes? Now, and having said that, and, and this, this is interesting, mm -hmm. is the department itself was called out by one of the Green Ministers, uh, Joe O'Brien, 
So he said that it was crossed. What they said was uh, it crossed the line. It was unconstructive. It shouldn't have happened. And uh, they were being immensely non-collegial. It's uh, So we have a minister come out and say the department shouldn't have done that. But then the department made the comments, I understand, privately. And it got out. So is he saying the department should not privately give its opinion of material which it deems to be, reading between the lines, Michael, total and unmitigated horseshit? Yeah. No, that's not reading between the lines here. That's reading. That was pretty well explicitly what it said. It wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of nuance required to understand it. I did enjoy the sort of tone of just, and where would we get these houses, Catherine? And how do we explain to people who had been on the list for 10 years waiting for a house that they weren't getting a house because Mush here was getting the house ahead of them? So it was, a, it, was, it was a totally nonsense report that was largely written by NGOs. They just put in nearly anything the NGOs said they want. And it was a lovely feel-good moment. And it was totally unworkable. It's basically slauncher care, but for refugees. Well, if it's like that, it's a miracle that somebody hasn't come out and committed the government to implementing it. Oh, you, Michael. I know, I know. So they'll come out with something on gender equality, which will be absolutely nonsensical. I am really loving the documents that try and explain the need to do this, Michael. And then also starting to talk about sex and gender and the fluidity. And uh, you're like, you realise these two things can't can't coexist. You can't have a requirement that a certain amount of women be somewhere in order to promote women's voices combined with the ability to change gender at will. Because I will tell you, the second they put in a requirement that there needs to be a certain amount of women on a board, I am going to get you and some of our other board members to change their sex, Michael. Oh, I've said, um, Gary, I have been actively seeking out that interview. That the, because there are now a number of positions which are available, very often in local government, small little grants and things available which are specific to women, and I am looking for I'm looking for one of those grants, uh, particularly one that I would sort of vaguely qualify for, and I'm going to go in as as a lady. I'm not going to change my name because I don't see why if I can be gender fluid, why can't names? I think it's. A patriarchal assumption and it's oppressive to assume that my name has to be rep- rep- representative of one gender and the other so i'm going to go in and i'm going to, and and if they look at me and and even start to frame the question but aren't you i will have them in front of the high court for damages quicker than you can say compo king it will be and if they don't and they won't They'll give me my grant and I'll be happy anyway. So what? I won't wear. I, I'll, it'll be flats though for me. The, I'll tell you the other thing. It is. It is also the disappearance of gay people because we are now being told that actually you don't have such. We gay historic gay being gay was described as a same sex attraction. We're now told you don't. You're not actually attracted to sex. You're attracted to gender. Sex is not which we had previously thought it was an immutable characteristic. It's something which comes and goes. But that's true for everybody except one person, one type of person, Gary, which I think is curious. You, I, everybody else, we're born, you know, straight, gay, men, women, you know, it's all, it's all a discovery, it's all an adventure we have to find out. However, 
Transgender people are born in the wrong body and have a definite gender. And they're the only people, which suggests that around 0.01% of the population actually are born with a gender. I do, I do enjoy sometimes the way it works out. Like Ellen Page becomes a straight man. But then you don't have to care what you say about her because she's a straight man and therefore you can just go back to calling her Ellen Page. She's a straight white man as well. Yeah, so just keep with Ellen Page because she's a straight white man and you can just say what you want about them. Well, I, have, I kind of think, let's be fair, that it probably was the right choice because previously um, somebody that looked very like um, Elliot Page who used to be called Ellen Page and used to be a lesbian. Used to be a lesbian. And, you know, isn't there something very hostile about being a lesbian? It's really like saying, like, I don't like men. I'm very anti-men. I don't want to be a man. I don't want to be with a man. And she's making, I think, it's a much more sympathetic position. She says, I don't want to be with men, but I'm happy to be a man. And I think that's much more inclusive. And that whole lesbian project, I don't know, Gary, I think it's a failed project. I think you know, we have to look at it and move on. I mean, you would, though. Would I? Yes, due to your deep-seated animosity towards lesbians. I don't have any animosity. I have no animosity to anybody. Mm. I'm just saying, from a social justice, you know, flu- gender-fluid position, where let's we have to be inclusive rather than exclusive then, you know, it's it's kind of an exclusive, kind of a hurtful position. I think lesbians can be very triggering for a lot of straight men. It can upset them, Gary, you know, and I think the lesbians have to take that on board. So are you saying that the end point of lesbians in order to avoid offending others is to become straight men in their own right? Listen, Gary, I'm not going to tell any woman what she should do. But if you're a man, if you're a man, that's a whole different story. You know, I think I can tell you what to do. Because, you know, you're a man. That seems perfectly fair. I think so. I'm all about the fairness. So I'm going to I'm going to include a link in the bottom of this podcast, which is, I think, the worst of the um, the presentations that have been given at the uh, this assembly. I don't mean worst as in most factually worst. I mean worst as in this is an academic at Trinity. And you read through it and go, oh, God. Maybe it's time to shut the universities. Oh, absolutely. It was time, long time ago. Shut them down. Shut down RTE. And establish a series of the most wonderful duck ponds across the country. I look really forward to seeing what Catherine Day produces and how divorced from reality it is while being really lovely. So things like, well, we've got to take caring into the economy, Michael, or we've got to... Yeah, we've got to support carers. I imagine there's going to be a lot about care and about, you know, recognition and mutual respect. And uh, I look forward to hopefully the Department of Housing being the people who have to deal with it again. And probably there'll be suggestions about how much carers are paid and the kind of esteem they should get. Maybe they should get the same level of esteem as nurses. Do nurses get the same amount of esteem or more esteem than doctors? Or do they get less esteem than doctors? Are they the same amount of esteem as doctors, but less than consultants? Or is esteem something you get more of if you get paid less? Or is esteem sort of, does it increase linear with wages? It's, I don't know. You, do you know about that? I, I don't know. I would, one thing I will say about this, about the, the assembly, is you read through it and you very quickly realise that there's only one type of expert in this field, 
because no one else goes into anything which would be considered expertise in this field. So no one else is going into gender studies departments, because why would you? That's not technically true. There are people, say, for example, who do sex. There are sexologists. There are anthropologists. There are social psychologists. There are people who actually... Do you know what they do, Gary? They take a theory and they go out into the world and they look at the things and they see if that reflects the theory. Now, obviously, people in gender studies and things like that, they don't do that because they know the world is actually a fabrication of the patriarchy. So why would you bother to compare your theory with the world? Because the whole point is that the world has to change to match the theory, which I don't know why people find so hard to understand. Yes, theoretically, this may all fall apart when you test it empirically, but of course it would. Because patriarchy and science, let's face it, science is just a masculinist patriarchal power uh, move, is going to do that. So we have to change, Gary, is the reality. So the reality matches the theory. I mean, surely that's obvious. There is one I was actually quite disappointed by. Because well I, I mistakenly, Michael, allowed myself to have some faint glimmer of hope. And it was that one of the people speaking was from Enterprise Island. <laughs> and you see, I, I thought to myself, well, this is a person who is keyed into, you know, industry and might make points like, well, saying we want 50% women is very, very good, but it's quite difficult to get that in certain fields, like construction doesn't really happen. But uh, no, 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 it's, um, it's your normal thing. It's, well, we need gender balance in boards. Uh, we want initiatives on public procurement so that there must be gender-balanced senior management teams, which, Michael, let me tell you, if you're going to try and build, let's say, a hospital, is going to be a real problem for you. Yeah. I mean, some of the large building groups in Ireland would love to have more women. Like, they, they'd kill you to get more women. But it's just quite difficult to get women into the, the sector. Yeah, one of the largest building companies in England is uh, run by second or third generation Irish people. And the CEO of that is actually a woman. So maybe they could use her. They could share her around. She could be the CEO of lots of things. When you say sharing around, that's what we've seen happen in some of the countries which have put in place balanced board requirements for businesses. Oh, you share the same women between them. I can't remember. We we saw a report on that last year. I can't remember who it was, but it was fantastic. the 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 pool of qualified people was so small. And it wasn't just uh, in that case, as somebody pointed out, it wasn't women. Actually, there were probably quite enough women, but there are although there were a number of women who just who did really well out of it. But I think there was a requirement for. I think there was a gay requirement, for, uh, and the number of people involved who were gay and, and qualified was tiny. So they were making out like bandits. They were on so many boards. It was just fantastic. I mean, yeah, and I, can, you know, I can't hold that against them. Like that's Oh, God, no. That's just good, sensible business practice. Absolutely. Quite fill your You're boats. basically taking out a timeshare on a board member. <laughs> fill your you, boats. you need it for the figure. Which is why, again, I will be pushing you and some other board members to... Uh, to change their gender, and I'm not joking, I absolutely will do that. I have no problem. I have no problem doing that. Uh, if the state wants to look at me like that, I know when I look into my, my heart, I know I am a unicorn. So I'm not worried about what other people thinking. And if the state looks at us and goes, well, I think it's not in spirit of the law 
Then you look at them and you go, well, let me explain to you how the law works. <laughs> yeah, but that's, it's not nice. You do it. It's like, yeah, they said it would never happen until it happened. Do you remember the, the case of the, the, the farmer in Tipperary marrying his, uh, his friend? Got to get that widow's pension, Michael. Well, get the widow's pension. <laughs> he, of course, that never occurred to me. There would, would he get a widow's pension? That would be discriminatory if he didn't. He would be discriminatory. Also, it meant that they could avoid uh, when the... Because there was a significant gap in the age of the, the younger man. was He's always been planned. He would get the farm. but uh, And the other... Presumably, there were other assets anyway involved. Uh, but certainly, he, he would... By doing this, of course, he avoided uh, inheritance acts or tax duties quite sensibly. Why wouldn't you? Uh, you know, this whole thing, this birth law, it's, uh, you don't get to do that. You don't get to say, yeah, but do you really mean it? Do you really, really mean it? Or are you just pretending? That's not a question you get to ask. In fact, that's the kind of question that could end you up in a law case. Because that would be triggering. I would be very upset by that if I was asked that. And that would be good fun. But the way I just, I wanted to just bring up the um, the gender assembly. Because as I said, I've been suffering through it and it's really not enjoyable. Well, we all need a bit of comedy, Gary, in, in these difficult times. It's not even, I mean, it's, they're all so bad. They all, I don't, I don't mean that in that I disagree with them. Because I disagree with a lot of what they're saying. But they're just bad. They're the sort of papers you would write if you had never once in your professional career said something and had someone on the other side of a table say, and what proof do you have for that? <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you give me some... Like you're saying it, but do you actually have anything behind it? Or have you considered this alternative explanation? So there's just all of this assumption as to how this should work and why it's not working. And they, uh, they really don't like stereotypes as well. Huh. They really, the thing, I, I don't know if we've discussed on the podcast before, called stereotype accuracy. Yes. And it is the finding that in general, in general, in the aggregate, stereotypes are really accurate. And this really pisses people off because there's a, com there's a competing theory that says stereotypes inform behavior. And that then they influence how people uh, act. So stereotypes are terrible because your stereotypes towards people will push them to act in certain ways that aren't natural, but they're socially constructed. Whereas most of the work on this has actually said that, no, that's not what happens. Stereotypes are just accurate views of group level differences. For the most part, some stereotypes are obviously not accurate. And the problem then is that they stick around when they're not accurate, or they used to be accurate and are no longer accurate. But in general, stereotypes are quite uh, quite accurate, which I think may be the most contested finding in psychology outside IQ. The problem is, is just like IQ, the amount of research behind it is staggering. Like, there's no, the debate is done. I mean, yes, technically, there's it's science and scientific methods, so there's always the potential of debate. But they are some of the most settled things in the field. And it's not a field that settles things easily. Now, my I think just for, for the sake of Big Iron Board pointing out, that while the, uh, there is high levels of accuracy in stereotypes, but not all stereotypes. There does seem to be a, that certain t that large groups of stereotypes are very high, but there are certain subsets of certain types of stereotypes which are 
for whatever reasons, less accurate. That in itself is interesting. But then there is, there, as you say, there is then prompted or stimulated behavior because of stereotyping. But they had this thing, and which I think was about stereotyping. I, this Was this part of the presentation of the BBC documentary about children and the fact that the the adults stereotyped the young babies when you think by by giving them the kind of toys that uh, they ex- they would expect a particular gender to have so they were they were reacting to the stereotype of what the behavior would be of a boy as a girl because they they, they thought that the child was now, of all the ones to do Gary we have not we, we don't have just of unprompted observational which and there have we have lots and lots of unprompted observational studies of very small children when they're given choices of what kinds of toys they want to play with that girl babies play one kind of predominantly in boys with another and yes we have to always say we're talking about a bell curve here there is everything falls within with the extremes and some boys are very very boys some girls are very very girl but in the middle then there are certainly boys who will play with boys who will play with dolls and so on but it goes beyond that we have studies in primatology which look at what chimpanzee babies do and what rhesus monkey babies do when they're presented with certain kinds of toys and they have a gender a difference and it was historically always assumed that if you saw an inverted commas cultural behavior that occurs in higher primates that also occurs in man that this is not you should not be interpreted as a culturally conditioned behavior but rather a an expression of a biological sex difference. But we just don't do biological sex differences, I suppose, anymore, do we? Well, not anymore, but these people don't do it. Before we close up, there was one submission I actually wanted to mention in particular, and it's from the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission. Now, I know I, I do a little bit about, like, I don't like the ICCL. I don't think they care about human rights. I don't think they care about them as a principle at all. The Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission can go right in that fucking bucket. So they put in uh, what they want to see in um, in relation to um, to women. And I think every single recommendation they have could be considered a breach of rights. Which is quite impressive. How so? So, see, the problem they're running into here now, Michael, is a right called the right of association. The right of association effectively means that you have a right to organize and to form groups of your choosing, with the people of your choosing. Free association, I mean, it's a pretty elderly right. You have the right to deal with the people that you want it. It's one of the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights. So they say that everyone has the right to freedom of peaceful assembly and to freedom of association at all levels, in particular in political, trade union and civic matters, which implies the right of everyone to form and to join trade unions for the protection of his or her interests. Right. So the trade union part, not really relevant, but specifically deals with employment. So then you have the Equality Commission comes along and goes, there should be gender quotas on local government elections and the government um, should monitor political parties for gender recruitment practices. Government, whoa, 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 whoa. The government should monitor political parties. No, yes. sorry, I don't care how that en- that sentence ends. That's a problem. That's a fundament. The government should monitor political parties these are these are these are private associations free associations as you said and how they wish to organize themselves surely is their own fucking business no not anymore uh then they say this is their second recommendation 
gender quotas for company boards, which are private associations, or public associations, depending on the ownership structure. They are associations. And then, their third recommendation is gender quotas on state boards, mm. on a statutory footing. Then, women in sport. I don't know how you fuck up women in sport. Uh, if you take money, if you're a sporting body and you take any state funding, you must have gender balance on your boards and promote women's participa- participation and leadership with a national plan to ensure equal representation of women's sport in the media. Sport at an amateur level is one thing, and if the government is in the business of promoting a- amateur support for health, but professional sport is, is showbiz. If you have a bankable star, you pay the bankable star what they, what they can get. And if you have commercial value, you use that commercial value to screw out whatever money you can get. But if people aren't watching, I mean, how are you going to do? How are you going to get people? Well, that's that's the problem. People, more people like watching female gymnastics than watching male gymnastics. Male gymnastics may be more physical and more demanding, and they may do higher jumps and more twists and twirls and whatever they do. But people prefer women's gymnastics, and that's fine. And if they're so they they are more bankable. Female skating on ice skating, female ice skaters are more bankable than male ice skaters. They make more 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 bank for they get more books in their post careers. I know the the assumption they're working on, and it's it's fairly clear from all the literature, is that people don't watch female sports because it's not promoted as much as male sports. I have never seen any evidence that that is the case. And I've seen evidence that it's not the case, but they—they just—they just say it. They don't reference it. They don't. Well, it's become a thing where it's almost like a—you a, do it. I—I I know people who watch certain, for example, they watch the women's rugby when it's, when the Six Nations is on, and they do it out of a sense of just—I don't know—a sense of doing the right thing. We should support them, you know. They're playing for Ireland, we should support them. And I said, do you enjoy it? No, not really. It's not great. But still, we should do it. And, you know, it's, to me, it's just entertainment. It's not religion. It's, I like to watch a good game of rugby, but again, in much the same way as I like to watch a good Western. And if it's a bad Western, I won't watch it. If it's a bad game of rugby, why would I watch it? So those are the recommendations of the um, Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission. They do have a later section which just says that the government should uh, legislate the policy framework for the promotion of family or family friendly measures in the workplace. Measures which they do not detail or list. But they're family and they're friendly. And I, I just. Uh, oh. So, yeah, that's. that's and the, all of this is costed, of course. I, mean, I, I don't know why you even joke about that, Michael. <laughs> okay, let's. let's that. It would, Let's leave this the sunny uplands and, and, and let the people go home. Right, we will be back on uh, Wednesday. I think you have an interview arranged, do you, Michael? I'm trying. All right, well, there may be an interview. There may just be me. But we will see you then. Bye-bye.